Welcome to Gateway Church Podcast. We're so glad you're here today. We pray God speaks to you through this message and through His Word. For more information about our church, follow us on social media or visit our website, gatewayhome.com. Now, let's tune in to this week's message. Well, if you have your Bibles, would you turn to 2 Corinthians chapter 3, or you can go to the Version app, click on events, and our notes will pop up. Before we dive in, I know that it is Super Bowl Sunday. I know we have some football fans here. The Chiefs are playing, and I think they're playing someone else. They're a Cowboys fan. I typically don't mention them, but the Eagles will be there as well, I guess. So I know we have some Eagle fans in the first service. Afterwards, we lined them all up and prayed for them, that the God would free them. Uh, but there's many different types of football fans. So I'm a football fan just in general, so I'll be watching a game. I hope it's a good game. Some of us watch the Super Bowl because they enjoy the commercials. You just watch it for the commercials and you're part of that group. Okay, there's a good group, so hopefully the commercials are good. And then there's another group, and my wife actually falls in this category. She is just happy that the football season is done. <laughs> we got some claps so that they get their husbands back in the afternoon on a Sunday. So... But either way, hopefully you have the chance to spend some time with your friends and family and watch a good game. Well, we are in the second part of our series entitled Destined. We're talking about not just what God has created us to do, but who God has created us to be, who he's destined us to be. And we've been focusing on that. And last week's message, we talked about the image of God. And today we're going to kind of continue. That was part 1A. This is really part 1B. I had so much content, so rather than preaching an hour-long sermon, uh, I figured I'd split it up into two weeks. So we're going to focus on that and then take that next step where we talk about identity and, and really what God created us to do because our doing should come first out of our being. So this week's message is titled, The Task of Transformation. The Task of Transformation. Uh, many of you know I have four kids, two girls, two boys. Well, our, our girls are in school, and in school... They were given a project. Uh, uh, they were supposed to invent something that hasn't been invented before. And I actually enjoy the process of brainstorming as we kind of gather together. Uh, I invent plenty of things for my kids. I invent songs for them to help them remember. I invent songs to tell them, hey, don't come into my bed at night so I can sleep. I invent songs to remind them to take out the trash. So we just enjoy the brainstorming time coming together. And one of the things you were supposed to do is it was supposed to benefit all of humanity. So I actually came up in my head with an invention that I thought would help. And here was my invention. I was going to create a device that would eradicate and make extinct the mosquito. Thank you. I thought that was a good idea, too. They did not like my idea. They rejected my idea. Uh, but I learned. <laughs> I was like, what would happen if the mosquito were really eradicated? And scientists got on there, and they said, there's no purpose for the mosquito except to annoy us, pretty much. And that but they don't want to remove them from the ecosystem because they don't know what the effects would be. I was like, let's remove them from the ecosystem and find out. I'm, that's something that's worth it, especially here in the Houston area when mosquitoes come out during the summer and you look awkward slapping yourself whenever a mosquito bites. But here's the deal. Even if you kill the mosquito, it doesn't really help because if you're a germaphobe like me, now it's on your skin, it's on your hands, and it's just still a little bit gross. But mosquitoes, even the reason why I'm mentioning them is because they go through a transformation process. They go through from the egg to adult. If you're in your science class, you remember that whole entire process of metamorphosis. But the truth is, 
and our relationship with God and the purpose and the destiny that he has for our lives, we go through a metamorphosis or a transformation process too. And I really want to talk about that today, and I have three points. And it's talking about the uh, process of transformation and what it changes. And here's the first thing it changes. It changes how you see God. The process of transformation changes how you see God. I'm going to talk today through the lens of the Apostle Paul. Most, many of us know it as Saul. Just so you know, his name wasn't changed. Paul is just his Gentile name. So, sorry if that burst your bubble, and that's what you thought. He had a name change. He didn't. But he is one of the most influential people in the New Testament church. He played an incredible part uh, of writing over a third of the scriptures as he was inspired by the Holy Spirit. He planted many of the churches of that day, so he played an influential part in that. But it's interesting that of all the people that Jesus could have chosen to carry the message of the gospel and even the message of reconciliation, that he chose Paul. Because if you know his story, Saul was one who persecuted the church. He was the one that was attacking Christians that were followers of Jesus, followers of the way. He was attacking them. He was murdering them and putting them in prison. This is what he was known for. This is what you see him doing at the very beginning. And while he's on a road to Damascus, he has an experience and an encounter with Jesus that totally transforms his life. And he continues writing about it throughout all the epistles that he writes. But he encounters Jesus, and Jesus says to him, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? So just so you know, if someone is coming against you and persecuting you for Jesus' sake, that Jesus takes it personal. He says, why are you persecuting me, not why are you persecuting my people? It's a personal thing that's happening because people may come against you because you are a follower of Jesus. And he says, you are trying to kick against the goats, but his whole entire life is changed. And it's a really astounding transformation, even to the points where the leaders, the apostles, and the disciples of that time did not believe that it actually happened. They thought it was one of the tricks that he was doing to actually get in, infiltrate, and then ultimately throw them all in prison. But God used a man named Ananias, to restore him and introduce him to the rest of the disciples. And he went from persecuting people for their faith to then pointing people to their faith in Christ. And here's what he writes in Philippians chapter 3. We'll get to 2 Corinthians 3 in a bit. He says, though I could have confidence in my own effort, if anyone could, indeed, if others have reason for confidence in their own efforts, I have even more. I was circumcised when I was eight days old. I am a pure-blooded citizen of Israel and a member of the tribe of Benjamin, a real Hebrew if there ever was one. I was a member of the Pharisees who demanded strictest obedience to the Jewish law. I was so zealous that I harshly persecuted the church. And as for righteousness, I obeyed the law without fault. I once thought these things were valuable, but now I consider them worthless because of what Christ has done. So Paul in this moment is listing out his qualifications. He's listing out his qualifications of why he would be accepted by God. He had the right pedigree. He grew up in the right heritage. He had the right education. He had the right uh, actions. He was fully obedient with the law without fault. He was a part of the Pharisees, who was the religious sect that was actually the, the strictest at that time, and they, to the point where they even tithed off the spices that they got. And Jesus actually corrects them for it, but for that attitude that they carried. 
that he was enthusiastic or zealous, but how many of you know you can be enthusiastic and wrong? You can be impassionate about something, but at the same time still be wrong, and unknowingly, he fought against Jesus. See, he had a problem with stubbornness. Don't, don't elbow anybody right now. Just look straight at me. We're not going to. He had a problem with stubbornness, though. See, stubbornness can actually look good on the outside, but it's void of holiness. It's void of ultimately us having the ability to come to God. 1 Samuel 15, 23 says, stubbornness is at the sin of idolatry. Because here's why. You're ultimately putting your desires, you're putting your ways above God's. But here's my definition of stubbornness. Stubbornness is a strong will turned toward yourself and not God. Stubbornness is a strong will turned toward yourself and not God. The question for all of us is, is there an area of your life where you've been stubborn? Because you know if you've been stubborn. Here's typically the areas that we're stubborn, even in our relationship with God. See, Paul was enthusiastic, but he was trying to make God into his image instead of being transformed into God's image. He was trying to make God look like him. God should be, clearly believes like I do, so he was persecuting the people who were actually following Jesus. See, many times it can happen in our own lives that we try to make God in our image. The God who believes like we do, he talks like we do, he has the same politics that we do, and we can begin to create him in our image instead of being transformed into his image. But with that encounter, Paul got a revelation of who Jesus was. And here's what he says in Colossians 1.15. He says, Christ is a visible image of the invisible God. He existed before anything was created and is supreme over all creation. For through him, God created everything in the heavenly realms and on earth. He made the things we can see and the things we can't see, such as thrones, kingdoms, rulers, and authorities in the unseen world. So there is more than meets the eye. Sorry, we're speaking about transformation. Transformers quote through in there. Sorry. Wonder. <laughs> Everything was created through him and for him. So beforehand, he didn't think anything of Christ. After he got a revelation of who God was, he realized that Christ is the visible image of the invisible God. So here's the truth that we have to come to, is that if you want to know what God is like, look at Jesus. If you want to know what God would do, look at Jesus. The way that he gave, the way that he served, the way that he had compassion, the way that he went above and beyond. That's ultimately who God is. Jesus is the divine portrait of God. And Paul finally began to realize this is, and through this process of transformation, it changed how we saw God. But if you know God, he's going to be a loving father, and that means he's going to bring correction. See, here's how we need to see correction. Correction is a, a gentle form of redirection. It's just God redirecting us, and here's why. Correction is actually a guardrail for your life to keep you from destruction, to keep you from going down a path that's ultimately going to lead to your destruction. Whenever I was growing up, uh, I was a very stubborn kid. Uh, I, was, I had a very strong will that my mom would tell me, and maybe you have kids that are the same way. They have very strong wills. And sometimes that was great because I didn't really crumble under peer pressure. But whenever you are stubborn in marriage, it can be a little bit hard to live with that person. And there were some things that I had to grow in because if we don't know this, stubbornness 
actually will hinder intimacy. It will hinder intimacy with God, but it will also hinder intimacy with other people. And whenever I got married, I would be engaged in certain areas, but I would not be as engaged at home or engaged with Elaine, and I led to troubles. And I remember one time, uh, it was after we were, we were struggling in marriage, and my father-in-law preached a phenomenal message. Uh, most of his messages are phenomenal. Actually, all of his messages are phenomenal. <laughs> he may be watching right now, so all of your messages are phenomenal. You don't have to text me. I love you. Thank you. But his messages were phenomenal. He came back, but we needed to meet afterwards. And uh, we sat down and we had a conversation. And then he was very clearly and concisely, we had a come to Jesus meeting about some of the things that I was doing, the areas that I was stubborn in my life. But I want to tell you, the correction was helpful. And it helped me come down a path that was a right path. See, when God corrects us, it's not because he's mad at us. He actually corrects us because he loves us. And he doesn't want us to have that stubborn attitude towards turn towards ourself. See, the remedy for stubbornness is surrender. Are we willing to surrender our lives to God's way instead of following just ours? So the process of transformation changes how we see God. It also changes how we see ourselves. It's point number two. It changes how you see yourself. In Romans 12, verse 1 and 2, it says this, I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, so God is a merciful God. Therefore, I'm, I'm laying this out to you, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable to God, which is your reasonable service. And do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, that you may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. See, this word transform is in the New Testament two times. But the Greek word for it is actually in there four times. Uh, the other two are actually referring to the transfiguration of Jesus when he was transfigured in front of Peter, James, and John, if you know that story. And Elijah and Moses showed up, and Jesus in all his glory was expressed in that moment. And Peter tried to ruin the moment by talking like he always did. And the father told him to shut up, hear Jesus, okay? He's the one that we should be listening to. So that's what happens in that moment. But here's what he's called us to. He's called us to be a living sacrifice. But this, that's an oxymoron. It's kind of like thinking Microsoft works. It's an oxymoron. It doesn't seem to make sense. That's what's happening here. But a living sacrifice, sacrifices are meant to be dead. But he's saying you're living sacrifice. Here's what he means in that. He's saying you're alive to God, but you've been crucified to the world. The world and the things of the world have been crucified because here's the hardest part about transformation that all of us have to go through. The metamorphosis that we have to become more like the image of God is that it requires death. That's always the hardest part. It requires dying to ourselves, dying to our ways, dying many times to our desires so we're able to please God. And the hard part about this is we never arrive. It's a continuous process. In Matthew 16, verse 25, it says this. <coughs> if, you hang, if you try to hang on to your life, you will lose it. But if you give up your life for my sake, you will save it. Is there any part in your life that you're trying to hold on to and hang on to that you won't give to God? See, in our attempts to try to save it ourselves, 
we're aiming at the wrong thing instead of giving it to the one who could actually bring things to life. But Paul, in 2 Corinthians 3, really lays out this idea a little bit more of being transformed. He's really laying out his life story. And that's the lens we can look through it. And here's what it says in verse 13. It says, unlike Moses, who put a veil over his face so that the children of Israel could not look steadily at the end of what was passing away, but their minds were blinded. For until this day, the same veil remains unlifted in the reading of the Old Testament because the veil is taken away in Christ. But even to this day, when Moses is read, a veil lies on their heart. Nevertheless, when one turns to the Lord, the veil is taken away. Now the Lord is the spirit, and where the spirit of the Lord is, there is liberty or freedom. But we all, with unveiled or vulnerable face, beholding as in a mirror, the glory of the Lord are being transformed, there's the word again, into the same image from glory to glory. So that means there's more. The glory of God is never exhausted, just as by the spirit of the Lord. So it's God's spirit that does it. So I'm going to explain real quick. In Exodus chapter 34, Moses actually goes up to the mountain to receive the tablets again from God. He was up there 40 days, 40 nights, didn't eat or drink anything. It was a supernatural uh, moment. God, God's presence sustained him. But when he came down from the mountain uh, with the Ten Commandments, his face was shining. He didn't even realize it, but the word there is it's actually shining beams of light to the point where people saw it, they got afraid. Even his brother, they ran away from him, so he went and got a veil to cover it so that they wouldn't be able to see the glory that he had on his face that was radiating from him. But I want to say something. The glory that was on Moses' face was an indication of whose presence he had been in. See, this is why we need to get in God's presence. Because we will begin to reflect God the more that we are in his presence, the more that we spend time with him and invest time with him. But he also covered it and used the veil because he did not want them to see a glory that was fading. See, the Old Testament, the law and the prophets had a glory in that they let you know that you could not do this on your own. See, the law could only bring you to Jesus, but grace can make you like Jesus. And there's a big difference between the two. You aren't made right with God by the law. The law brought death. The law brought condemnation. But ultimately, if you want the freedom that comes, you, it has to be in Christ. It has to be done by the Spirit of God. And as the Spirit of God works in our lives, it actually leads us to liberty. See, the Spirit brings freedom. The Spirit brings life. But just because you have liberty does not mean you are lawless. See, many times it's, people are afraid if pastor preaches about grace and what about people that want to do their own thing. Okay, the Holy Spirit gives you grace to enable you to walk in the new life that he's given you. The grace isn't to have a desire to sin. He actually changes your desires so that you actually want to please God. Your desires change. There's a transformation that happens from the inside out. But the freedom that we desire comes from being made into his image. See, the world promises freedom, but ultimately that freedom leads to bondage. See, many people say I'm free, and then I would just ask them the question, well, can you stop? They can't stop. That's a form of bondage. It's not actually freedom. It's not actually walking in the freedom. See, freedom is the ability to be who God originally intended for you to be. This is why he came to restore what was lost, to restore his image on the earth. 
See, the spirit of God can make us free or the spirit of Jesus is because Jesus was always free. This is why it says, if the son makes you free, you shall be free indeed. Because Jesus was always free. So the question for all of us is, what are we beholding? Because it said, with unveiled face we behold him, and as we behold him, we are transformed and made into his image. Because you become what you behold. This word behold is not a casual glance. It means a careful study. But it works two ways. That if you behold the world more than you behold God, you'll actually be transformed into the image of the world. If you behold temptation and continue to look at it and continue to think about it, you'll be drawn into it in a greater way and be transformed into it. This is why it says that he's actually made a way of escape from temptation. If you behold anger or have a situation that you continue to think about that makes you angrier and angrier, the more you behold it, the angrier you'll get because there's no way out. There's no freedom in that. But as we behold Jesus, we become more and more like him and are transformed into his image. And this is important for us to realize we can't change on our own. It's not by our own effort. This is what Paul is laying out to every single one of us. But just know that reflecting the image of God is disruptive to your life. If you've been walking with God for a long time, you know that many times God is going to disrupt your plans. He's going to disrupt the things that you think are normal. He's going to call you to be unique. He's going to call you to be a peculiar people. He's going to change your relationships. He's going to change your thoughts. He's going to change your mind, change your finances. He's going to change everything about you. Most of us, when we got up today, we took some time and we looked in the mirror. By the way, you all look great, okay? We took some time to look in the mirror, and the mirror tells us a lot about who we are in this current moment. I remember when I was about 30 years old, I looked in the mirror, and the mirror told me, you are balding. So that's what the mirror told me. It said, the cul-de-sac is not working for you anymore. Just take it all the way down. So now I shave my own head. And some of you should just join me, okay? Just come with me. It's going to be great. It's okay. There's nothing wrong. It's, it's fun on this side. So, But when a natural mirror simply reflects who we are. God's mirror doesn't necessarily reflect who we are. It's actually a reflection of who we will become the longer we look into it. The longer we look into his word, we see the authority that God gives us. We see the joy that we can have. We see the peace that's available to us. See, as we look into God's mirror, we're changed into his image from glory to glory. And there's more that God has for every single one of us. This is why it's so important for us to get in his presence to receive all that we have. Because here's the truth. It's not just about turning over a new leaf. God's about transforming us to live a new life. So have we stepped into the new life, the new spirit, the new community, the new things that God has provided and made available to us? Because if we aren't changing, I actually would question how close we're following. Because everyone who followed Jesus in the scriptures, their life changed. They were, they were, Jesus turned the world upside down. Let me say it that way. It was disruptive to what we thought we were called to do, but what he has for us is infinitely better than we could have thought or come up with on our own. So the process of transformation changes how you see yourself. And here's the third and final thing. It changes how you see others. It changes how you see others. And this was huge 
in Paul's life. You got to remember the very beginning of his life, he was very judgmental. He was very harsh. He regarded people according to the flesh. And here's what it says in 2 Corinthians 5. It says, so we have stopped evaluating others from a human point of view. At one time, we thought of Christ merely from a human point of view. How differently we know him now. This is what he's saying. I thought about Jesus. He was alive at the same time as Jesus. And he's like, Jesus is a good teacher, but all these people are following him, but it's the wrong God. He's like, I just saw him as a human, but now I know him differently. This means that anyone who belongs to Christ has become a new person. The old life is gone. A new life has begun. And all of this is a gift from God who brought us back to himself through Christ. And God has given us this task of reconciling people to him. Where God was in Christ, reconciling the world to himself, no longer counting people's sins against them. And he gave us this wonderful message of reconciliation. So we as Christ's ambassadors, God is making his appeal through us. We speak for Christ. Think about that. When we plead, come back to God. Paul's perspective of others has changed. Paul didn't regard people to the flesh anymore, especially the people who had come to Christ. He said, you are a new creation. You become new. So I'm not going to reference and talk to you about the old. The old is gone. We're going to walk in the new. See, the old way of life that he was living in many, for, us, for many of us, the old way of life is very transactional. You do this, this is the way I regard you. The new way is transformational. See, it's not just fixing the external, which is many times how we look at people and how we judge them, but it's ultimately allowing God to work from the inside out. My son Jack, when he was younger, he used to make the mistake of putting his shoes on backwards. And it kind of became a, a little bit of a running joke in our family. And now he does it just to be funny. But we'll go up to him and we'll say, hey, Jack, you need to fix your shoes. Probably in the past couple of weeks we said it. And this is what he would do. He's like, okay. <laughs> All fixed. Shoes are right now. And we're like, I love you, son, so much. <laughs> no, you need to take your shoes off. They need to be rearranged. They need to be put in a new position in a new place. But many times we're like this with God. There's areas of our life that we speak to and under our own power, we try to fix it by ourselves instead of coming to him and trusting what he's done, knowing that he's the one who can make us new and transform us from the inside out. It's important for us to catch this, to not, to, to understand how we see ourselves, but also how we see others. Because God isn't a transactional God. If you didn't know, He's a transformational God. He's not just interested in a transaction. Hey, I went to church, check. Hey, I gave this week, check. That's transactional. Transformation is my whole life is a life of worship. My whole life I'm called to be generous. My whole life I'm called to serve. I'm called to lay it down for my family. There's a transformation that happens. See, anything that God gives or shares of himself transforms. Here's why. Because God is supernatural. So whenever he shows up anywhere, things change. The atmosphere changes, sometimes even when he wasn't aware of it. If you remember the story of the woman with the issue of blood, the crowds are around him. He's going to heal a little girl, and a woman comes up and touches him and is healed. And he says, who touched me? 
Because when he shows up, there's change that happens. You need to realize this in your personal life as well. Right? When God shows up in our lives, change should happen. Things should be different for us. We've been brought into a new kingdom, a kingdom of light out of darkness. An encounter with Jesus changes everything. See, God just doesn't give you life. He gives you eternal life and he gives you abundant life. That's transformational. He doesn't just give you joy. He gives you joy unspeakable and full of glory that's not based on your circumstances, but based on the fact that you're in his presence. He doesn't just give you love. He gives you a love that casts out and removes all the fears in your life, knowing that you're secure in his hand. He gives you a peace that surpasses all understanding. And even where sin abounds, he says grace much more abounds. You need to know the God that you serve isn't a transactional God. He's a transformational one, and he wants to transform you and your family for the generations to come. But we have to understand who he is. But it says he's given us a task. And this task is to reconcile other people to him. Think about this. This word reconciled means to make friendly again. We talk about reconciliation in relationships. It means to restore relationship to what it once was. We used to have a good relationship with God, but because of the fall, Jesus had to come and sacrifice his life so that we can be made right with God once again. That's what he's saying in this. He's no longer counting our sins against us when we believe and put our trust in him. But he's given us this task, which means we all have a responsibility to share what he's given to us. He calls us in this moment, in this passage, ambassadors. Here's what an ambassador is. An ambassador serves in a foreign land as a representative of whomever sends them. I'm going to say that again. An ambassador serves in a foreign land as a representative of whoever sends them. So Jesus has called us ambassadors. We've been sent by him to make it be on earth as it is in heaven. This is what he's saying to every single one of us. You are participating in bringing life to people. That you have a part in this. So as ambassadors, we're supposed to share our faith. We're supposed to share the message of reconciliation. Now, I know many people, they would say, hey, Pastor Ethan, uh, it's hard for me to share my faith. And that's okay. We want to equip you uh, to be able to share your faith. But here's what I've realized about people. People don't have a problem sharing their pain. People don't have a problem sharing their hurt. They can tell the same story of when they were hurt 20 years ago today and feel the same emotions. They don't have a problem sharing their offenses. They don't have a problem sharing bitterness. They don't have a problem sharing that. But many times it could be hard or we say it's hard for us to share our faith. Okay, here's what it means to share your faith. You're simply sharing how God transformed your life. You don't have to know all 66 books of the Bible from front to back. To be able to share your faith, you're simply saying, this is what God has done in me, and I believe that he can do it for you as well. Because he's saying, plead with people to come back to God. That's all he's saying. It's like, I've come to God. Here's my faith. Here's how I walk it out in work. Here's how I walk it out at school. Here's how I walk it out with my family and my friends. This is what it looks like to be a follower of Jesus because we are being transformed into his image. And that's all that we're called to share. Think about this for a second. We know that God loves all people. And yes, he communicates it in his word, but there's some people that won't go to the word of God first, but they will encounter you. So he says, you're supposed to be my mouthpiece to let people know that I love them. You're supposed to be my mouthpiece to encourage people. You're supposed to be my mouthpiece to be able to bring people back into relationship 
with God. The word plead means to beg them. See, this is what we're all called to, and we all have this task after we have been transformed to let other people know that they can be transformed too, that you can be made new into the image of God no matter what you've done, no matter what you are going through. See, the reason why we point people to God and why we have a part as well, we have a part, God has a part. I want to tell you your part. Your part is to renew your mind. God's part is to change your heart. And here's why. Because you can't change your heart. You can change your mind. That's what repent means. But ultimately, God is the only one that can change your heart. This is why we come to him to receive the transformation that only he can bring. I want you to bow your heads and close your eyes with me. At the end of every service, we have a time of prayer. We're always going to have worship, the word, and prayer. In a moment here, there'll be a prayer team that comes down front. If you need prayer for anything at all, you can come down for prayer. You don't have to be a member of Gateway Church to receive prayer. But I encourage you, if you're in this place today and you want to know God, I want you to come back to him. Some of you may have walked with God for a very long time, but you walked away and you know that God is pursuing your heart. And you need to be in that place where you say, yes, I want to be transformed. I want to be made new. I don't just want to try to fix this on my own. And I know God has transforming power that's available to me. And you want to receive that. Others of us may be in that place where you need to see God in a new way. You want his revelation. You want his love. You want his peace. You need to experience his joy. And for others of us, God, it's calling us to the front lines to release our stubbornness, to surrender our will, and to follow wholeheartedly after him. No matter where you are today, the Holy Spirit wants to speak to you. So I'm going to pray, and then we're going to go into one more worship song. And if you need prayer for anything at all, once again, come down for prayer. But we have the chance to respond. So, Father, I thank you for your goodness and your love. I thank you that you lead us and guide us every step of the way. That we can trust in a God who loves us. We can trust in a God who cares. We can trust in a God who is willing to send his son to the earth to die on the cross, to be buried and was raised again. And by believing and confessing him as our Lord and Savior, we can be made new. So I thank you for every single person here who is willing to say yes to you. I want to be transformed into your image. I want to receive the sacrifice that Jesus gave to become a living sacrifice. They're willing to say yes to you today. And I pray for every single person that we would release the things that we are hanging on to that are keeping us from being transformed into your image, that we would become more like you every single day. And I thank you for that right now. So in Jesus' name I pray and everyone said, amen and amen. Thanks for joining us today. If you live in the Houston area or are in town for a visit, we would like to invite you to join us for a service. For service times and location or more information about Gateway Church, follow us on social media or visit our website, gatewayhome.com. Have a blessed week.